Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm your host, John Corker. Coming up on today's show, Radio Rounds director Lakshman Swamy sits down with Dr. Vinny Aurora of the University of Chicago's Pritzker School of Medicine. Indicating that she believes resident work hour restrictions are here to stay, Dr. Aurora discusses the development of a new professionalism for residents as they are forced to hand over or receive patients, often in the middle of treatment, when it's time for a shift change. This is what I actually tell our interns at, at New Intern Orientation, which is that people may accuse you of being unprofessional, but your guard against that is to use the handoff as your moment to learn and be professional. So don't accept a crappy handoff. More from this controversial discussion with Dr. Vinnie Aurora right now on Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everybody. I'm John Corker. Last week, Radio Rounds director Lakshman Swamy sat down with Dr. Neil Shaw, chief resident in obstetrics and gynecology at the Massachusetts General Hospital and the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Shaw is the founder of the nonprofit Costs of Care, whose mission is to empower patients and their caregivers to meaningfully incorporate costs when discussing important care decisions. Check out last week's fascinating discussion about how physicians can truly make good on their pledge to first do no harm while working with patients to also stem rising health care costs in the United States. Lakshman Swamy is back again this week as he sits down with Dr. Vinny Aurora, Associate Program Director for the Internal Medicine Residency and Assistant Dean of Scholarship and Discovery at the Pritzker School of Medicine for the University of Chicago. Dr. Aurora has been at the forefront in both researching and implementing resident work hour restrictions over the past year, and she recently published an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association entitled, Professionalism in the Era of Duty Hours. Time for a shift change? Swami begins the interview by asking Dr. Aurora to explain the main points, and the main points of contention, in her controversial article. It was definitely a piece that was motivated in part by my work with our residents here, but also stories from the front lines, residents who tell me that they are being accused of being unprofessional. And meanwhile, they are actually to, trying to do everything they can to continue to follow their patients and care for their patients despite duty hours. So the three ideas that we really wanted to put forth are that residents continue to violate duty hours even though they exist and continue to care for their patients. Um, the second is that they continue to work when they're off duty. This is often enabled by the electronic health record, which, as you know, is ubiquitous now in many teaching hospitals and enables residents to log in from home and continue to monitor their patients and even uh, write orders and advance care. And the third is that residents, this was another piece we did with actually a resident at Mass General um, who was a former student here named Anupam Jaina, that residents continue to work 
when they shouldn't, specifically when they were sick. And this was motivated by our observations during the H1N1 flu epidemic, actually, where we had to let residents know that they need to go home and that we don't want to make them anyone sick. And it was corroborated by a larger study done in, in collaboration with the ACGME. So it wasn't just our program nationwide this was happening. So we wondered, why is this happening? And really, we come to the conclusion that residents continue to adhere to the professional values set forth in what we have dubbed nostalgic professionalism. And I should say that's not my terminology. I read the piece by Fred Hafferty and mm -hmm. his colleague that really laid out the groundwork for what nostalgic professionalism is and this sort of old world professionalism where you place the patient's needs above your own personal needs, which is appropriate most of the time. But in some cases, that may actually violate or cause moral stress or even make the patient worse. So for example, in coming into work sick, if you make the patient sick, how <laughs> is it that you, know, that you did the right, right. thing for the patient? Right. Um, if you violate duty hours and you're tired and you make a mistake, that's also mm -hmm. a risk. If you work when you're off duty and you write an order and you aren't in the hospital to know what actually is going mm -hmm. on with the patient, could that be a problem? So we were intrigued by these examples of this sort of this um, dis disparity between what residents currently do and the concern from senior physicians and many who have been at meetings where duty hours is discussed that declare that this generation of residents is unprofessional. So that was really what motivated the piece. I was asked by Mark Siegler, who is a um, professor of ethics here, and he's the head of the McLean Center for Medical Ethics and now the new Buxbaum Center on Clinical Excellence in Medicine and Doctor-Patient Communication, to give a talk for the ethics conference about this topic. And so I didn't have a talk prepared. Sure. So in the process of linking my thesis together, I thought, well, here are three examples of things that we haven't truly fleshed out. And so that this piece was motivated by an effort to flush that out and grew out of this um, work that I did um, in order to uh, speak at the McLean Center Ethics Conference. It sounds like before any of this started, you were asked to kind of give a talk on medical ethics mm -hmm. and you know professionalism. And what I think that the, the point is is that there is a big change happening, and it seems to me that there's almost a, a generational division here as well. Again, in your piece, you talk about nostalgic professionalism, and you show all these cases where modern residents are kind of em actually embracing what could be considered that nostalgic mm -hmm. way of looking at professionalism. So I think that what's what's really interesting is that from, from my, my perspective as a student, this is something that we were all talking about when duty hours were first coming about. We were terrified that, uh, you know, that senior physicians wouldn't respect us uh, as, as we were training and even as we finished training because they would kind of think that our training wasn't as, wasn't substantial mm -hmm. enough. Uh, have you, have you noticed anything when you presented the talk or in relation to the article? Have you heard any kind of feedback? Actually, I would say the talk was better received than the piece. <laughs> um, I've received a lot of gut-wrenching email, is the best that I can describe it, from physicians all over the country. Actually, I've received two categories of email, um, and it usually does break down by generation. So a lot of senior physicians who trained it in the old system, you know, respectfully disagree and continue to, to feel that are, there's something missing. And I think that what they're really objecting to is the resident duty hours itself. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is in our piece, 
we tried not to stay away from pro or con resident duty hours, right? right? right. I yeah. mean, we really wrote it from a perspective of residency duty hours exist, yeah. <laughs> and here's what's happening, right. and here's how we can fix it. Mm-hmm. So my response to a lot of those senior physicians is I don't believe we're going to go back in time. Mm-hmm. I think that that was my personal belief when resident duty hours first came. I was worried much of the work I've done in handoffs was motivated by the research mm-hmm. and concern that I had about about um, adverse consequences with duty hours. But after years of working on duty hours and hearing about duty hours and listening to leaders talk about duty mm-hmm. hours, I don't believe we're going to go back to the old model for residency training. Sure. Even when you think worldwide about this problem, the U.S. is an outlier, right? So I think that our question really is, how can we promote professionalism in the context of current duty hours? And then residents from all over the country actually did write back and say they really thanked us for the piece and they were going to post it in their operating rooms and their (laughs) clinics and that they felt that it was sort of a kind of a, you know, a defense that they had been looking for to say, hey, we're trying our best, mm-hmm. but but the current um, system doesn't, you know, that they face a lot of moral stress because mm-hmm. of the current system mm-hmm. and the way that it's set up doesn't allow them to exhibit the old behaviors that go with professionalism. And I feel that um, for the senior physicians, as somebody who works in a residency program, you know, I have to monitor duty hours. I have to email our residents to say, you didn't log your duty hours. Yeah. I have to look at residents who are still here and say, you need to go home. And so I think that for all of those senior physicians, I would encourage them to go visit a residency program today mm-hmm. and really see um, what it is that we we are trying to do. And so what I want, I think the one thing that I want to highlight is that you know, I'm not here to say duty hours are bad or good. Right. I'm here to say they exist. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they're going away. Um, and in the setting of them not going away, how can we push forward? How can we come up with a model of professionalism that allows residents to work shifts but still care for patients in a professional way? And um, and that's where I think looking at these other industries may help. You know, why – I don't think people accuse – other other law enforcement officers or pilots or nurses of being unprofessional. Right. And yes, people have written and have emailed and said doctors are different and we always are different. <laughs> but the question still remains, are we so different that we can't learn from another profession? You know, maybe there are going to be tweaks. Maybe mm-hmm. we're not the same. You know, and I do a lot of patient safety research, and I'm not the one who says we should, you know, borrow everything from the airlines. Right. But look at Atul Gawande's work on checklists, mm-hmm. right? So the physicians that cry that, oh, autonomy is gone, and we um, we are lost independent medical decision-making, look at the work by Peter Pronovost and by Atul Gawande to show that um, standardizing the way we approach care can improve outcomes. So do we have that much hubris that we can't learn from another industry? I think the answer is no, we can learn. And we may adopt differently. We may implement differently. But the piece doesn't say to adopt wholeheartedly. It's just to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it that we are unprofessional if we work a shift? But they are not. You know, it's just an interesting question. So how do you you think... um, the, 
the perspective change of uh, it, it, I think it's it's a it's a difficult thing to talk about. Uh, really, it used to you used to be able to very freely say I'm the advocate for my one patient, right. and I do Whatever it takes, it doesn't matter yeah. to help that one patient, and it, that seems to be changing. Absolutely, and actually, we're not the first to coin new professionalism either. So mm-hmm. what's interesting about this piece is we're just taking other ideas and bringing them to the fore with sure. these examples. But Eric Van Eaton in surgery, who's at University of Washington, who studies handoffs as well, was the first to really posit this new professionalism where we go from an individual doctor to patient to a team. Mm-hmm. And and I and here's what I would say. Um there it, people are voting with their feet and most physicians unless they are in rural practice or in fairly you know more solo practice solo practice or in rural practice most physicians are not on call 24 7 right right right? group practice is a common model Mm -hmm. you know hospitalist care is a common model even those physicians that see patients in and out of the hospital do not work seven days a week all the time and if they do what you see from the studies, I mean, I'm not the one that does the burnout studies, but yeah. you can take a look at burnout and intent to leave medical practice among that group. It's very mm-hmm. high. So the question really is, how do we um, reconcile this, which is that that we cannot have a doctor working all the time. There is going to be, you know, a time when your kid gets sick mm-hmm. and your pediatrician is not available that night mm-hmm. or your family physician is not available. Now, again, maybe you're in a rural practice and that's the model, but that's increasingly going away. Mm-hmm. And and are we going to say that that, you know team-based care is essential. In fact, it's so essential that it's modeled in the Health Care Reform Act and, right, and in right. the Affordable Care Act. You know, the idea of primary care now is patient-centered medical home, accountable care organizations. And in the patient-centered medical care home, there is the idea that you might have a primary care physician leader and a nurse practitioner or somebody else who's helping manage that population of patients. So, these days, no, even the data on um, older patients suggests that primary care physicians coordinate care with a lot of other people mm-hmm. and a lot of other physicians and even non-physicians, home health aides, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, physical therapists. I mean, so mm-hmm. many people are proximal to the patient that the primary care pa- doctor may not even see them, you know? And and I would say one of the competencies that we need to really stress is team-based care. Mm-hmm. And and that goes along with duty hours, but it's also a skill that's a lifelong skill, how to manage a team, how to work within a team. And one of the things that's interesting about medical school is, you know, to get into medical school, it's not about being a team. Right. It's about ex- exceeding the performance benchmark. Mm-hmm. In I remember when I was at Hopkins as a pre-med, it would be like, did you beat the curve? Did you yeah. beat the curve, right? <laughs> the exam would come out. It would be like, where are you? Did you beat the curve? People would be trying to guess who's who on that list <laughs> that's posted up. And that was not team-based. Right. You may have studied in a team, but in the end, you were trying to outperform the people who mm-hmm. were around you. Um, then you get to medical school and anatomy lab. You hit anatomy lab, and you're supposed to work in a team. And we're looking at some of those questions here in our medical mm-hmm. school, which is, you know, what's that experience like? Some people have a really great experience. Others don't. Mm-hmm. And how does that impact your learning? Then you work in a healthcare team. There's all sorts of teams you're going to work in. So, So just like... The teamwork that you're going to have in future medical practice, 
teamwork in academic hospitals needs to be achieved and it needs to be learned and it needs to be practiced effectively. And, and that includes not just learning how to do a good handoff between two physicians, but also communicating with the nurse about the plan of care for the day, for mm-hmm. example. Communicating with the patient to make sure they're on the same page and their caregivers. Communicating with the consultants. So I think all of this really goes hand in hand. And uh, I mean, that's really what a resident is, a team leader, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think that anything, the, t- the ideas that we are proposing there about new professionalism are very closely aligned with these ideas of, of teamwork and being and learning how to be a leader and a communicator, but also knowing when to follow and knowing when to ask and knowing when to advocate. Now, obviously, in the constraints of this piece, we can't go into full detail, <laughs> but I do want to highlight that the AAMC, Association of American Medical Colleges, recognizes this, and they are doing a lot of work and promoting a lot of work on interprofessional teams and collaboration and how do you really evaluate and promote teamwork. So, so I do think... I'm not to say that the doctor-patient relationship is going to go away. That's not the, you know, I mean, the critics are going to focus on that. And I'm going to say this is an add-on. You know, this is that, of course, you want to bond with your patient and, um, and make sure that you're advocating for them. But when you leave the hospital in the old days, a good sign out was nothing to do. And when you got a call, when I got a call when I was a resident or an intern, the first question you would have if a consultant was calling is, you know, that's not my patient. You should call back. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, the, so the idea here is if, if we value the doctor-patient relationship, what about all those patients when your kid is sick and your pediatrician is not on call? What then, right? right Somebody right. has to step up and say, I, I am still caring for this patient. Mm-hmm. And duty hours forces us to acknowledge that. But the practice reality is somebody has to do somebody it anyway, to do anyway, you know? Yeah. So, so I do think there are interesting models that we could try and uh, adopt and a lot of models that are being tried. But uh, at the core of them are the idea that there is a primary care person, primary team leader right. who, who knows the patient best. But that's not to say they're available 24-7. Right. Or that they're always the single best person. Exactly. Patient, exactly. Right? So, you know, I hurt my leg recently. The person that I would say who listened to me the most and took care of me is my physical therapist. Right. That's mm-hmm. the person I saw three days a week. You know, yeah, yeah. she's not the primary care team leader, right. but she's the person I connected with. Mm-hmm. Right. And that really gave me some. And sometimes she was away. Sometimes she had the day off and I needed to see, be seen or I was working or she um, was off for vacation. I mean, think, you right. know, people don't work, 50, you know, 52 <laughs> weeks a year. Yeah. So she was on vacation and she would bring the other physical therapist to me and introduce the physical therapist to me and say, I'm going to tell them about your case. So I would meet that physical therapist before I was Mm -hmm. even meeting them, right? And I thought, hmm, that's teamwork. Mm -hmm. That's professionalism. She's going away, but she wants to make sure that I know that she's going to do a good handoff and that the new physical therapist and I have already established some rapport. Mm-hmm. So I at least know his face when right. I come in. He's at right. least heard a little bit about me. And and there's also the concept of fresh eyes, right? Which is maybe they can contribute something mm-hmm. that hasn't been thought of before. And we've we've had many cases where, you know, in when a handoff is a learning opportunity um, and team, you know, more heads are better than one. Now, that's to say more coordinated heads. <laughs> there are yeah. some times when too many cooks in the kitchen is bad. Of course. But, but 
think about all of the cases you have in the hospital. How many times do you need a consult on some of our sickest patients? Everyone has a consult. Yeah. Um, why would it? Why is that? It's because they're so sick that they need a um, an expert in that domain. But that doesn't mean the expert is handling everything. Right. You're coordinating with the experts. So in some hospitals, at least like the one here, I work in two hospitals, we do a lot of consultation because the patients are so sick. And sometimes the consultants actually know the patient better. It's like the physical therapist. They, the renal consultants right. know their dialysis patients better than, mm-hmm. uh, than we do. But, uh, but the question still is, who's going to coordinate that? So I think residents are going to learn that. They're going to have to, and they learn it already. My, I guess my concern is that we can't keep talking about individual doctor and individual patient. Right. We need to add to it, right? So it's that we continue to discuss it, but that we say, okay, even when you don't know the patient, and you're getting a call. It's kind of like being a bystander on an airplane. What is your obligation to the people around you, right? Absolutely. And that's professional, right? You know, <laughs> you wouldn't argue that being on an airplane and right, you know, saying, right. you know, the professional thing to do would be to click your button and say, can I help you, right? right? Exactly. And that is the same thing that our residents need to learn, which is they may not know the patient, but their obligation is to try to learn the patients during their handoff and to do the best with the system that they have. What you're saying is that residents still have a a very clear idea because they're taking care of a patient so closely about what needs to be done for that patient, what is professional. Do you have any advice for um, medical students or or young residents who are just entering this kind of crazy world? Right, right. Well, actually, I should add one more thing, which is that I did not talk in this piece about duty hours 3.0. You know, we had 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0. But this piece is not about that. Of course. Can we do better? Yes. The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Should we do the research? Yes. Are we limited in the ability to do the research? Absolutely. Everybody talks about randomizing programs. You know you're interviewing for residency. If you like working long shifts, you're not going to vote with your feet to go to the short shift program, (laughs) which will thereby undermine any randomization scheme. Mm -hmm. And it would be a little unethical if I said, we're going to blind you to the schedule you're going to work, and no one's going to want to do that (laughs) either. So even if we conceived of a nationwide study, it would be hard to implement because of selection, Mm -hmm. right? But let's say we try. So we could tweak it. We could do better. One thing to think about is that right now it's a one-size-fits-all, and we focus a lot on sleep, you know, Mm -hmm. which I'm a sleep researcher, so (laughs) I I believe that that's important. I just saw one of our fellows this morning who moonlighted. I could tell right away he was Mm sleep-deprived, and he was taking care of patients. We were in a meeting, a quality improvement meeting. Was he up to his peak performance? No way. Mm -hmm. you know but did he do okay yes but but that's something where we need to think about we can't return to the old system but just like there are vigilance tasks like putting in an arterial line that are exquisitely sensitive to sleep deprivation if you are sleep deprived it takes you four times longer to put in an arterial Mm -hmm. line everybody knows that there may be familiarity tasks things that are less sensitive to sleep deprivation, but more sensitive to familiarity with the patient. So for example, discharging a patient. It may be that if you are coming on with a handoff, even in the best case handoff that we do, Mm -hmm. you're going to not make mistakes because you're bad, but you're going to, you may make mistakes because that task is inherently risky for an unfamiliar physician who doesn't know the patient. So one question is in duty hours 3.0, do we think about all tasks being created equal, right? right? Being in the operating room 
cutting, doing precise operations and, I mean, I'm not a surgeon, but doing whatever they do. (laughs) Whatever um, they do over there. You know, with their microscopes and robots. (laughs) When you're sleep deprived, that sounds pretty scary Mm -hmm. to me. But but having an end of life conversation, you know, unless you're narcoleptic, you're not going to fall asleep (laughs) in the middle. And would it feel better for the patient to have the same doctor? Probably. Um, Or getting a phone call to ask about a question. So, do I think that there's room for tweaking? The answer is yes. Do I think that that's going to change the way that we approach team-based professionalism? No. I right. still think we're going to need something that is improves upon our current model mm-hmm. and is an add-on. In terms of what current residents can do, this is what I actually tell our interns at, at New Intern Orientation, which is that people may accuse you of being unprofessional, but your guard against that is to use the handoff as your moment to learn and be professional. Mm -hmm. So don't accept a crappy handoff, right? Don't don't just have somebody hand you the list. Be like, you know what? I really want to learn these patients. You know, when the consult, this drives our consult teams crazy. When the consult team calls and you don't know the patients because that happens, don't say that's not my patient. Just say, I'm actually covering for Dr. So-and-so, or I'm caring for Mrs. Smith, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a member of her primary team, but I will communicate this to the primary team. Is there anything else that you think that I should do tonight? Mm -hmm. So a simple change in the way you approach this actually goes a long way because our consultants are driven batty by the term, (laughs) it's not my patient. So I always say, don't say that. You know, Mm -hmm. when a surgeon who's waiting to go to the OR because the consultation round comes late, he's been in the OR all day, he's coming around, he thinks that patient does have appendicitis and need to go to the OR. And he asks you, you know, what are the coags? Don't say that's not my patient. <laughs> just say, oh, I'm going to order them. You know, I'm so-and-so. I just started my shift. I'm going to order the coags. I'll be the one who's caring for this patient tonight and helping you. Is there anything else you would like me to do? Right? right so right. that is Changes a very everything. different approach than that's not my patient. Mm-hmm. And so I find that when you change the dialogue and really keep it about the patient, patient is the focus. Mm-hmm. Even the patient who you have not met and is not in front of you, right? It's like being on an airplane, right? Any of those people could be your patient when you're a physician, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're the doctor, you know? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're going to say, I'm I'm off duty, right? right? (laughs) Call somebody else, you know? So so those are just things to think about, which is our professional obligation to the people around us, regardless of our familiarity with them. You're listening to Radio Rounds, and I'm John Corker. That was Dr. Vinny Aurora, author of the controversial JAMA article, Professionalism in the Era of Duty Hours. Time for a shift change? For more information or to read the article yourself, check out JAMANetwork.com. We hope that you'll join us for rounds next week as we are proud to feature Steve Spears. Steve is a senior lecturer at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and a senior fellow at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. He'll be telling stories about how we can give healthcare the high velocity edge and turn our hospitals into true learning systems. In the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes Store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. 
Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at MedPlusAdvantage.com. Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Find answers to your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available now at studentdoctor.net. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or of the Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody, and have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm John Corker, and one day, I'll be your doctor.